0: This is the Football Friday Tailgate Podcast, hosted by Dan Mullen. What's going on, everyone? This is Dan Mullen, and welcome to this edition of the Football Friday Tailgate Podcast. We are recording on Wednesday, October 22nd, about a third of the way in here to the NFL football season. Thank you for joining us. I know it's been a while, but uh, we're back with a vengeance, and I'm glad you could join us. We're going to talk about a few topics, um, some teams in turmoil, what's going on and how they can fix it. We're also going to discuss some predictions on relocation. Is LA going to get a team here soon? Is London going to get a team? I know that's a big topic around the league and one that's controversial with people. And also we're going to talk about how Roger Goodell has handled the suspensions and some of the other issues that are going on in the league. So uh, without further delay, let's jump right in. Teams in turmoil. So a few teams have really underperformed this year, really stuck out, and wanted to just spend some time talking about a few of them, uh, starting off with the Chicago Bears. If you've been watching uh, any of the NFL shows this week, you know that Jay Cutler had a – or Brandon Marshall had a little bit of a screaming match, I guess, after the game, and Brandon Marshall basically called out his whole team. Some of the players were calling out the fans. Uh, people are unhappy with the, the coach, Mark Trestman. So a lot of lot of turmoil on the Bears and you look at their team, you've got Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey, Matt Forte, Jay Cutler. You've got a really strong offensive team, Martellus Bennett, uh tight end. And there really looks like there's no reason why the offense should be a problem. Defense was a little bit of a problem last year. It's improved this year. So what is going on? What is the problem? And it looks like all signs point back to Jay Cutler. Anyone that's followed Jay Cutler's career knows that he is just kind of a, a space cadet almost. You know, sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. He doesn't seem to get along with people. I think he just got this big contract and he's it seems like he mentally checks out and he's got a great arm. He's like a, you know, people call him like a Jeff George almost. Great arm, but a two cent head. And he's really showing that this year. All Jay Cutler needs to do is just get the ball to Brandon Marshall and his weapons, hand off to Matt Forte, and they should be able to be a really high-functioning offense. I know teams like the Patriots, the Jets, they would love some of the weapons that the Bears have. So Jay Cutler is really one of the big problems, but Trestman... You know, he may be in over his head. He's he's known as being a real good offensive coordinator type. Does he have what it takes to be able to to run the team and to make them them function at a high level? That still looks like it's uh you know, remains to be seen. Earl Acker, uh, you know, the old linebacker for the Bears, he came out and he went at uh Jay Cutler. So Jay Cutler does not have many friends. He's kind of an aloof dude. He married that Laguna Beach chick. So he has a nice little life. He's made a lot of money, but he just is his own cat. You know, he's just not a leader of a team. You know, I question whether a team with Jay Cutler could ever win a Super Bowl because I just don't think he has what's it has what it takes. He doesn't have that it factor that Manning and Brady and even Roethlisberger, go down the line. Rogers, Breeze, these guys have an it factor. And Cutler just doesn't have that heart that these guys have. He's got a great arm, but, you know, he gets called out everywhere he goes. So I don't know if the Bears can turn it around. I, I will say, as a Patriots fan, I am nervous for this week because the Bears are wounded. They are in a corner right now. And if you know anything about the NFL, those teams that get cornered and are desperate are the ones that are the most dangerous. So you've got a desperate Bears team that's three and four. They said, Hey, this is unacceptable. They don't want to go three and five. They want to, they want to get back to 500. You've got them coming to New England. They are looking to get back and to just put last week behind them and they have the weapons. I mean, they can go at the Patriots this week. So I am, I am nervous. The Patriots are a great home team. Um, They have their own issues, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but I would not count out the Bears. Early on in the season, I, I didn't really get a chance to give my predictions for the year, but I, I think that, the, or I thought, that the Bears would win the NFC North. I think that they're the best team, although the Lions and Packers definitely give them a run for their money. And if they're going to turn it around, it's going to start this week because if they go three and five, then all bets are off. But if they can get back to four and four, then I think they can go on a run, and it's just a matter of all getting on the same page. To their credit, they've said the right things in the last couple of days. The players have taken the blame. They're deflecting it from their coach, which is what they should do. And uh, if they can turn it around, uh, you know, if any team can turn it around, I think they can. So I would look out for them this week. I'm not really feeling good about the Pats in that game, but there has been other ones where they played the Bears and they blew them out. So who knows? The other big NFC team that has really fallen off is the Super Bowl winners, the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I've watched a few of the games. It's really hard to tell. Like, how could you have so much trouble with like the St. Louis Rams or who are the other teams they played? Well, they, I mean, you're in the tough division first off. You're in the NFC West, so the division itself is is extremely difficult. Yeah. So they lost to Dallas. Okay, Dallas has, has played well. They lost to St. Louis. They beat Washington, which they, they very well should. They beat Green Bay. They lost to San Diego, another good team. They beat Denver. So, yeah, so it's been an up and down season for them, but nobody nobody thought that they would be five hundred. Do you think that Seattle is just going to dominate everybody that they play well, first off, the thing you got to know about Seattle is they are so much better at home than on the road, like pretty much if they're at home, they're just a different team they've got that home field advantage, that twelfth man, that swagger that they have. they go on the road and it's like a whole different team so So, what is the problem? from what i can tell, you know, and and this is something that's um i think you're going to see more and more just across the league. There's obviously a lot of parity, we know. So what are the things that differentiate the great teams and the in the good teams? And i would really look at the offensive and defensive lines. And i know that's kind of a cliche. Oh, yeah, it's one in the trenches and people have always said that about football and there is some truth to it, but i think now more than ever with the new rule the new rules with defensive holding and just the way that the game has has moved towards being a more offensive game, you need to have a strong offensive line. You need to be able to protect your quarterback. You need to be able to open up holes for the running game. So the offensive line, huge. And also, alternatively, with defensive line, that's where you're getting your pass rush because you just can't do the same things down the field. Cornerbacks, the safeties, the linebackers, the people in space – they can't touch anyone down the field. They can only react to the ball. They need to have a pass rush to, to give them some time to make plays and whatever. And as good as a Richard Sherman is, as good as, um, you know, the safeties are, Cam Chancellor and, and the other, the other folks for Seattle, as, as good as they are. You've got an issue where you just, they're, they've lost defensive linemen. They're not getting the pass rush that they had before. Earl Thomas, the guy's trying to think of safety, uh, who's a pro bowler as well. You've got a great secondary. You've got decent linebackers. But your defensive line, you lost a few guys that went to the Jags, Red Bryant, uh, Clemens, a couple other guys that, that have gone to other teams. People cashed in. Seattle is sticking with their skill players. They're going with Richard Sherman. They're going with Thomas. They're going to give Russell Wilson the money. So as they should, you should give the money to your stars, to your, to your skill players. You lose the depth. These other guys are going to cash in. It's happened to every Super Bowl champion. That's why it's so hard to repeat, because once you get to that top of the mountain, everybody wants to poach your team. They want to take your good players away. And Seattle's running into that already. Obviously, they just did the Percy Harvin trade this week. Um, he was making a lot of money and wasn't performing and didn't get along well, it seems like, with uh, some of the other offensive players, especially the quarterback and the quarterback in the NFL is king. If you don't get along with the quarterback and you're on the offense, you're out of town. Now, controversially, there was some talk that today uh, and this week that Russell Wilson, some people behind the scenes were alluding to the fact that he's not black enough. So he's, uh, you know, he's, as um, Rob Parker would call him, he's a cornball bra- corn brother. That's what Russell Wilson is. Cornball brother, you know, had a good life. He went to a, a good college and he's kind of not, doesn't have that street culture. You know, he's not, you know, he's not like a Marshawn Lynch or a Percy Harvin, who's a little more rough around the edges, so to speak. And, you know, let's be honest. There's this undercurrent within the black community of people that aren't black enough. Some people, they, they're looked at in that community. If, if you're not, You don't act a certain way or you don't have a certain background or you didn't grow up in the inner city or or you don't have this edge to you, then you're just not black enough. I think that's ridiculous. Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. I don't care if he's black, white, yellow, purple, whatever. guy's good, all right? So if he's not black enough for you, that's on you, okay? That's your problem, Marshawn Lynch or Percy Harvin or whoever or Richard Sherman or whoever else has that problem because no one else seems to have a problem with Russell Wilson's uh skin color or whatever. Uh he seems to be a good leader. He seems to be a high performer. He's certainly not the reason that Seattle is 3 and 3. It's the other parts around him that are not performing up to standards. So that's something you guys have to figure out on your own. It's a bad sign uh, for a team when you've got this kind of infighting, especially after a Super Bowl. But when you have a team that has such a swagger and such an attitude and so many colorful personalities, I guess it's not totally surprising that there'd already be a little bit of this conflict. I think that they'll figure it out, and I'll think they'll get it together. The problem is, is they are in arguably the toughest division in football, and the tougher of the two conferences, I would say, at this point. So you've got a really tough uphill battle. To, I mean, you could get in the playoffs. You're still three and three, Seattle. Knock off a few wins here in a row, and, and you're back in it. But you're gonna have to go up against San Fran, who's tough. You're gonna have to go against Arizona, who's having a pretty good season. And then you've got the other teams within the NFC that are also going to be difficult to compete with. So the road for Seattle right now, and it's still early in the season, we don't always know how things are going to shake out until about the halfway point. But we're starting to get to the point now where you kind of know what teams are, are made of. And Seattle is a tough road to climb here. I don't think that they're going to get back to the Super Bowl just from early, uh, you know, early indicators, but they should make the playoffs. They should make a run. Home games, like I said, they're a different team at home. They need to get a home field advantage. They need to knock off a lot of wins here. They need to go on a run right now in the regular season if they want to set themselves up for the playoffs. Because I feel like if they have to go on the road, they have no shot. Once they go on the road, Seattle can be neutralized by anyone in the playoffs. You need to get that home field advantage. You need to get that bye if you can. And then... You maybe have a chance to get back to the NFC championship game and maybe have a chance at repeating. But other than that, you're in, you're in a little bit of trouble. As I mentioned, Percy Harvin trade is a great segue to talk about my favorite team to hate. The New York Jets, Rex Ryan, Geno Smith, Mike Vick, John Idzik, Woody Johnson, Eric Decker, Chris Johnson. Go right down the line. Just a lot of guys so you can root against. I can give the Jets a little bit of credit with this trade. I think it was kind of ballsy to do. They needed to make a splash. I don't know how much it helps them right away. I think... You know, this trade would have been a lot better about three weeks ago before they, uh, you know, went up against the Pats, before they had some other divisional games. But hey, better late than never. John Idzik, obviously, this is a desperation move on his part because Rex Ryan is a dead coach walking. We all know that. He is gone at the end of the year. There is no doubt in my mind. He'll get picked up in a minute because he's a great defensive coordinator, a great football personality, really a smart defensive mind. He's going to end up as a head coach somewhere or a defensive coordinator within a day after he gets fired, so I wouldn't worry about him. I actually like him. I don't hate Rex Ryan. He's colorful. Um, I actually respect him. I think he knows what he's talking about. Bit of a buffoon, granted, a little bit of a clown, but you got to respect what the guy has brought to the football and all the knowledge he has. Um, Idzik though, the general manager, this guy's got no clue. All right. He came over from Seattle. So, you know, he's riding off the wave of Seattle, but I haven't seen any moves that he's made that made the Jets better. I mean, you brought in Mike Vick. He isn't even ready to play. You had that story a couple of weeks ago where they benched Geno Smith against San Diego and they brought Mike Mike Vick in for the second half because, hey, Geno Smith threw for 26 yards in the first half and it was just a bleep show. And then Mike Vick, doesn't do much better. I mean, he he <laughs> was awful as well, and the Jets just got their doors blown off in San Diego. Didn't look like they were ready to play. And it c- turns out that Mike Vick basically loafed it through the whole practice that week. Uh, he wasn't mentally ready to go in the game. He wasn't prepared to perform that that Sunday. And even in the preseason, he talked about, well, I'm just happy to kind of be here as the backup. He was resigned to being a backup. He is a, a check casher, okay? He is just a guy going through the motions, trying to make a few extra millions here in the end of his career. He's got no passion for the game at all. I don't know how you could ever want someone like that on your team. I don't care if you're the third string quarterback. You've got to bring it every week and be ready to play. It's not just about holding a clipboard. It's about being ready to go, especially when you have a, you've had a career like Michael Vick. You've gone through a lot of challenges in your career. Obviously, the dog killing thing. We can't, we can never talk about Mike Vick without acknowledging the fact that he is a admitted dog murderer, had dogs raping each other and electrocuting them, suffocating them, drowning them, dog fighting, um, just a, Total mistreatment and a, a total lack of empathy for uh, for pit bulls and, and other animal breeds. Uh, so he's just a, a very extremely unlikable person. And did his time. He deserves to be back in the league, just like some other uh, scumbags that are in the NFL, uh, who we might talk about here in a moment. You can't talk about Michael Vick without acknowledging that. And then to top all the fa- top off that, he's he's made so so many strides to come back here. He's fought a lot of adversity. He's back in the league, and he just is going through the motions. And you're playing on the Jets, you know as a backup for Geno Smith, there's a really damn good chance you're going to get in a game. You're going to they're going to need to go to you and you're just loafing through cashing your check. You should be ashamed. That is not a professional. You are not a professional athlete, Michael Vick. You are a freaking joke. That was probably the most insulting thing. But you know what? That's par for the course with the Jets. This is how the Jets operate. They hire people who are washed up, big names. You know, we'll get a splash on the the New York tabloid back page because we're going to sign Chris Johnson and we're going to sign Ladanian Tomlinson and we're going to sign Eric Decker and we're going to sign all these big names and these guys that don't really make the team that much better. They're just a name. And Michael Vick just goes along with that. So, and Geno Smith... You know, maybe he'll get it. Maybe he won't. He's just like he was in college. He's got all the talent in the world. He's got a good arm, but he's just a knucklehead. He's not a leader, uh, similar to Jay Cutler in a lot of regards, just doesn't really engender a lot of, a lot of faith from his teammates. He's definitely not somebody that's going to lead them into a battle and they feel comfortable about being behind. And this is just par for the course with the Jets. Now, you bring Percy Harvin in. He's punched people. He comes up with migraines whenever he doesn't want to play. He checks himself out of games. He's mentally not into it. Bad teammate. General circus candidate. I'm thinking he's going to fit in perfectly with the Jets. This is the, this is the environment that the Jets have fostered. So he's the perfect guy for them. But from a talent standpoint, Maybe he'll get the motivation. Maybe this will be the wake-up call that he needs. This guy is 26 years old, has all the talent in the world, speed demon, and he can't even stay on a roster. You know, Minnesota gets rid of him in his prime. Seattle just won a Super Bowl. They're getting rid of him in his prime. That's red flag central for how much is this guy is getting paid. I would have liked to see the Patriots go for him, but then these stories come out and then you say, okay, well, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's better that they didn't do that. Speaking of the Patriots, another team that has had a little bit of a challenge this season. If I hear one more time that the Patriots, Brady has no weapons, or the Patriots aren't all in for it, they're not going for it, or whatever, yes, okay, they've got a little bit of salary money to play with. They just made the trade for Akeem Ayers, the linebacker, because they lost Gerard Mayo. They didn't have the depth there. I mean, there is... Some complaints to be made, but I I hate the no-weapons thing, all right? They traded, or they got Danny Amendola a couple seasons ago. He was one of the top wide receivers on the market. Has it worked out very well? No, that's not. it hasn't worked out all that great. But part of that is Brady's fault. He does not do a good job getting guys into the mix. He freezes guys out. You watch the All-22 film. Amendola gets open. So don't tell me he's not getting open. Brady's just going other ways. Even that being said, they've got Gronkowski, who's arguably the best tight end in the league, if not of all time. Could be a Hall of Famer if he could stay healthy. He in itself is one of the greatest offensive weapons in the whole league. So right there, I mean, come on. Julian Edelman has, has made himself into a really top slot slash, uh, short, you know, short to intermediate route wide receiver. So he's a weapon. LaFelle when he's sh- when he's performing well when he's in the game plan he's a weapon Tim Wright who they traded Logan Mankins for to Tampa Bay they got Tim Wright he's starting to get into the offense they're con- they can run the two tight end set that they used to have with Aaron Hernandez Tim Wright obviously is not Aaron Hernandez but he brings some of the same skill sets to the team now these same people that say oh well the Patriots don't have any weapons there's no weapons and then they're, well why did they trade Logan Mankins you know they got worse they got worse Logan Mankins is washed up he's not worth the money. He went to Tampa Bay. He's not doing anything. Tampa Bay is floundering. He's not the difference between anything else. And talking about the lines, the offensive line, ever since they put in Stork, the rookie, um, they got that Devi guy out who can't play a lick. He should never be in. Now that they have an offensive line rotation, you saw them. They came out like gangbusters against Cincinnati. They played great. The Jets game was a little bit of a step back, but they did have some injuries on the offensive line. But it seems like when they put that new offensive line together, the offense really takes off. And that's the key. That's how Brady became Brady. That's how Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning has one of the best offensive lines in football, okay? The Dallas Cowboys with Romo, their offensive line this year is fabulous it could be the best offensive line in football that's why romo suddenly looks great that's why he looks like he'll make the the pro bowl it's all about the lines folks it's all about the offensive line that's what makes a good team that's what makes a great quarterback and uh, you know a world beater quarterback it's the offensive line So, if the Patriots can keep that offensive line together for this season, avoid some of these injuries, then they're going to be in real good shape. They've got decent tackles. The interior offensive line has been the question for the last couple of seasons. It seems like they've shored that up a little bit. So, if they can keep that going, they're going to be okay. Now, here's the problem. Defense, they're starting to get some injuries. They lost Jrod Mayo. Chandler Jones just got a hip injury. He's out for a month. Darrell Rivas late for practice. He, who knows what's going on there? Defensive line, they lost Tommy Kelly. That was a dumb move. That one, I, I cannot defend the Patriots for. They let him go over cash. They should have found a way to work with him, but he's kind of a tough dude to deal with. So it's not surprising they had a problem there. They just picked up, um, they picked up Akeem Ayers. They got the guy that used to be for the Bills defensive tackle. I can't remember his name off, offhand. So they're, they're trying to make some moves here. I'd like to see a trade for the Patriots, either a defensive playmaker type or an offensive playmaker. There's been talk about Vincent Jackson being available. Larry Fitzgerald's name always comes up. Is he available? Um, if you could get a, a number one or a number two wide receiver, I think that would make a huge difference for the Patriots. You've got another week here before the trade deadline. I'd be looking out for that. Defense is really... The thing that was going to be the, was supposed to be the strong point for the Patriots and has not turned out to be that way. I still have faith that they're going to figure it out. They're starting to use Darrell Rivas the way that he should. This week against the Bears, you want to be seeing Rivas one on one with Marshall take him out of the game. You put Jamie Collins or another linebacker. You man them up or have them shadow Matt Forte so he doesn't do any damage in the passing game. And then you uh, double up Alshon Jeffrey with a safety and a, another cornerback like a Browner and maybe McCourty over the top. And that And then try and get pressure on Cutler. And if you do that, if you can neutralize those different factors in that way, I think the Patriots could have a big, huge game this weekend. But like I said, they're wounded. Chicago is wounded. They are desperate. They're, you're going to get their their best game this weekend. It's going to be a tough one. So that one is going to be one to watch. Definitely, uh, definitely an interesting matchup. The last team in turmoil I wanted to talk about is Cincinnati, who uh, obviously the Patriots had that field day with uh, on that Sunday night game, which was which was great to watch. You've got AJ Green hurt, Andy Dalton starting to get exposed. Marvin Lewis coaching, we all know how that goes. He's as mediocre as they come. And then that overtime kick with Nugent, you've got... Uh, players calling out the kicker—they're just—they're in a tailspin right now, and they're in a tough division. The Ravens have turned out to be still the cream of the crop there in the uh, AFC North. Pittsburgh had a nice bounce-back game on Monday night; they looked good. Cleveland—you uh, know—you don't have to worry about them. They are a team in turmoil, but not even worth talking about at this point until until they make the move to Johnny Manziel, and then we can spend all the time in the world talking about them. Cincinnati is in a tough place now. They've lost two out of the last three, but really they've lost the last three because that tie game is basically a loss as far as I'm concerned. Two of those games, they just got absolutely destroyed and basically didn't show up for. So I would be concerned as a Cincinnati fan. AJ Green, you know, the more I watch AJ Green, I'm not as impressed with him as, as I thought I would be. He's... One of those kind of one-trick pony guys that he runs the nine and runs the the jet down the field, but he's not really that precise underneath route runner. He's really kind of a go deep guy and you throw it down the field, which is... Somebody that's good to have. I mean, he's very good at it. He's one of the best. He's kind of, uh, kind of like a, a Randy Moss light sort of. Cincinnati needs to. I think what they need to do is they need to get back to the running game. They need to get Gio Bernard. He's one of the best running backs in football. It's, it's a very similar situation in Chicago. They just, you've got a quarterback who people don't really totally believe in. So you need to take things off the quarterback's shoulder. You need to go to your weapons. You need to get the running game that you have. Get that running game going. Establish the run. Open up the passing game, they both have decent passing games as well, and then just have the defense do enough to, to stay in the games. And I think both of those teams could do that and bounce back, but you're right at this part of the season now where it can go either way. So, you gotta, uh, you gotta bounce back. You gotta win a big game this week. I think both Chicago and Cincinnati have games that they really need to bounce back and win with, or at least have a good showing, because if they both have another stinker this, this week, the rats are gonna be jumping off the boat in both of those cities. They are both gonna be basically, uh, in a nosedive at this point, if they're not already there. So, uh, Cincinnati, they've got a, who do they have this week? Cincinnati. Cincinnati has Baltimore this week. So Cincinnati at home against Baltimore, you win this game and all is forgotten the last few weeks. The blowout against Indy, the tie against Carolina, the loss at New England, it all goes out the door if you win at Baltimore this week. Then you win Jacksonville next week and then Cleveland the week after. Bounce off three wins in a a row and you're right back in the thick of things in the AFC North. That's what they need to do. So, some quick predictions. Relocation. This is one topic I've wanted to talk about for a long time now because you've got that game in London, that early game this week, and you've got all these fans like, we want to keep the sport here and, you know, why should we be going to London? You know, we don't even have enough games here. It's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen. There's two – you have to understand economics. You have to understand the growth capacity that the NFL has. The NFL needs to keep finding growth. They need to go global. The NBA went global. Hockey is global. It's a global sport. You've got European, you've got Canadian, and even baseball. There's a, there's a little bit of a foreign influence. Not as much as with hockey or NBA, but baseball, you know, has Korea and Japan and Australia, some other places that follow baseball. So they, and, and obviously Latin America, of course. Football, American football, gridiron football, as they call it in Australia, has to find a way to branch out internationally if they want to keep growth because they've pretty much tapped out everything they can do in the United States. So where do you go? Do you go to Canada? Do you go to Mexico? Do you go to Europe? Football, believe it or not, is really popular. American football is popular in Germany. That's why the NFL Europe, the best experiments that they had were in Germany. Those uh, those teams that got they would bang out the stadium. People in Germany loved football. They love a lot of American things. I don't think it's realistic to go back to Germany, at least not at this point. You've got to be looking at London. That is where Roger Goodell, my friend Roger, is looking. That's where the NFL most likely is going to be. But before we get to London, two other cities that are in North America that have to have teams, Los Angeles and Toronto. Toronto is going to, Buffalo Bills will be in Toronto within five years. Uh So mark your calendars accordingly. I know the guy that just bought him. He owns the Sabres. He said all the right things. going to keep it in Buffalo. It's going to Toronto. Toronto is a large metropolitan, cosmopolitan city in North America. It's not that far from Buffalo. You're still basically a Buffalo team in Toronto for all intents and purposes. It's going to end up there. That's where the money is. That's where the future of the Buffalo Bills is. Now, Maybe some other team comes along and and beats them to Toronto maybe that happens I think though the most realistic thing is for Buffalo to go there there's only so much you can do with Buffalo if you've ever been to upstate New York you know what I'm talking about it's not there's not a lot of money there all of the industries have moved out of there it's it's kind of a depressing place really the weather is bad unemployment's low there's not a lot of money there people are great you got great people in Buffalo nothing against them at all but it's just not sustainable for growth for the NFL. Toronto is where you want to go. Get that market. Get that Canadian team. You'll still have the Buffalo fans. They're going to, they'll stay with them. You keep the name. You keep the tradition. You keep everything about it. It just becomes the Toronto Bills. That is what's going to happen. In terms of LA, LA is a little bit more nebulous of a situation because there's three teams that I can think of that could end up in LA and maybe even two out of three will end up there because it's such a large market. Uh, The number one candidate is St. Louis. St. Louis Rams, L.A. Rams. Hey, Jim Everett, it's like the 80s all over again. So that makes a lot of sense for the Rams to go back there. It's a no-brainer. St. Louis is a, is a good city. It's a big city, but... L.A. is calling. Some L.A. is begging for a team to come back there. Now, the people in L.A. aren't necessarily begging for them to come back because people in L.A. are have better things to do than worry about football. They uh, they have their own interests, you know, um, getting their boobs done and, uh, you know, gawking at celebrities and trying to act in commercials and, and be all about themselves, be out surfing and enjoying the sun. But it's too big of a market not to have a football team there. The NFL is going back, and why wouldn't the Rams, who have been there before, why wouldn't they just go back? Uh, St. Louis could always get another team at, at a future juncture, and I don't think people are that attached to the Rams in St. Louis that it would be such a big to-do to move them back to L.A. The other two teams, the Raiders, who used to be in L.A., they they were in the L.A. back in the 80s, and the Chargers could just go right up the coast from San Diego to L.A. San Diego is one of those cities where, you know, they don't really care that much about the football team, and even if they do, they could still follow them up to L.A. It's not that far up the coast, so... One of those three teams will be in L.A., possibly two of them. There's always some dark horses from other other cities that might get tempted to go over there, but I think those are your three most likely candidates. Which leaves us with London and, sorry Jacksonville, but your Jaguars are going to be the London team. All the signs are pointing that way. You've got the new owner. You're playing a game each year, I think, in London or, or every other year for the next few years. They're testing it out. They're trying to get more games in London. It's going to happen. You're already on the East Coast. Jacksonville, we know, is a shithole. So it just makes sense. Jacksonville will be there. It even sounds... British, the Jaguars, the London Jaguars. It rolls off the tongue. It's perfect. I mean, they could always rename it, but I think they could keep the Jaguar name, move it to London, make it the official English team. It's England... Honestly, it's no different than going to Seattle from a flying standpoint. Now, culturally, and you've got a lot of other economic issues and labor issues with international and and stuff, but they'll work it out. They'll find a way. There's too much money not to do it. I'm sure they're already working on those logistics right now while Roger Goodell hides in a hole somewhere during the Mueller investigation because we got to get to the bottom of everything that happened with the Ray Rice video. (laughs) I'll talk about that here in a sec. But London just makes too much sense. It's gonna happen. They'll find a way. They'll probably do it where, you know, the London team plays a straight month in London and then they have a, you know, a home kind of base in New Jersey or someplace where they train when they're in the United States. The players don't even have to, don't even have to live in London, really. They could rent out a flat somewhere or have, you know, dormitories for all I know. Who knows what they would do? Although they make enough money where they probably could get a place. It's going to happen. It's going to be the Jaguars. So, uh, Jacksonville fans, uh, start working on uh, your British accents because uh, your team is going to London. So, last but not least, I just wanted to take some time to just give my thoughts on the last month or two in the NFL, especially the leadership of Roger Goodell. I've wanted to talk about it for a while here. I haven't had a chance, so I figure it's time for me to to jump in on it. We all know that Roger Goodell is just a complete... In utter embarrassment at this point. I think that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, I'm not going to hear. I'm not here to pile on the guy. I think he, uh, as South Park pointed out he's like a robot, Goodell bot or whatever they called him. And he's there to do the dirty work for the billionaire boys club, which is what I call the owners. The owners are a billionaire's boy club. Think about it. You got the Jerry Jones, Dan Snyder, Robert Kraft go up and down the line. The Mara family, the Rooney family. It's billionaire boys and their toys. And Roger Goodell plays the bad boy. He does the ba- dirty work. He does all the dirty stuff that they can't do so that these billionaires can look like fine, upstanding citizens billionaires are not fine upstanding citizens. They've made their money off the backs of other people. I'm not an anti-capitalist. I actually in my job I work with a lot of rich people and I ha- I actually have a lot of respect for them and what they've done. But these billionaire guys are they're a different breed. They uh a lot of them didn't even make the money themselves. They were just happened to be handed it down from you know previous generations. So a lot of these guys are just Tommy boys that uh just happen to be uh you know happen to win the genetic lottery. And then some of them did make their fortunes uh, by marrying into it or, you know, getting their father-in-law to back them for something and then having a, a good run of good business sense. point of the matter is Roger Goodell does what the owners tell him to do. And he does a very good job up until this point, I think, at least. Uh, he always has their back. He plays golf with them. Steve Bishotti from the Ravens. Hey, let's go, you know, let's go play golf. Uh, Robert Mueller, who's doing the investigation. Hey, you know, it's, you know, an 830 tea time here at, uh, you know, whatever the New York City course is there. It's all a good old boys network. Now we're finally starting to see how the sausage is made, and it's really, really ugly. The NFL, the NFL pink, you've got all this NFL stuff that they care about, the United Way and all this. The NFL cares about money. The dollar bill. Even the NFL Pink, I'm not going to go into it. I've, I've spent hours talking about how crappy NFL Pink is and how disingenuous that whole promotion is and how they give very little to charity. And it's really all about selling merchandise and, and getting women to buy into the sport. You've got this month is domestic violence month, but let's not make it domestic violence month because that would be, that would be scary for people to think about, even though our players beat their wives and girlfriends more than just about anyone else in society. Let, let's focus on breast awareness month. Oh, I'm sorry. Breast cancer awareness. Get it? Breast awareness. Yeah. It's just sleazy. It's all sleazy. You know, oh, we'll put pink on them and, and they're macho. And it's funny because they're macho, but they're wearing pink because we care about women and let's exploit women's breasts and because we want to be aware of their breast cancer. And, and this will make us sympathetic. And it's all nonsense. It's bullshit. Uh, don't believe it. Don't buy NFL pink stuff. Support breast cancer if you want or breast cancer awareness charities although Susan Coleman is its own bag of balls there <laughs> it's not a great charity either biggest problem NFL and all charity big charities have is they're about making money and paying off the people that run them and very little money goes to research or solving any of these things because hey if we if we solved breast cancer or prostate cancer or cured aids or whatever then all the money would dry up and then where would all these scientists and charitable foundations and nonprofits go can you tell I'm a little cynical about charities? And I do like charities. I like giving to my local uh, animal rescue or shelter. Give, you know, or give to the people that are walking in an Alzheimer's walk or something like that. Uh, don't give it to the United Way or the Red Cross or some big organization because most of the money doesn't even get to help people. It just goes to to lining the pockets of the people that work for that charity. and It goes into fees and, you know, less than 10% of the money actually goes to helping people. That's my little diatribe, I guess. But getting back to Roger Goodell, just to finish off, the way he handled this whole thing, he started the fire by giving the two-game suspension to Ray Rice, doing a little favor to to Steve Bishotti and Ozzie Newsome with the Ravens. If he had just given a six-game suspension, an eight-game suspension, heck, even a four-game suspension, it probably would have all blown over. People would have said, okay, well, what he did was awful. He'd probably be back playing right now. But instead, you gave him a two-game suspension, you pissed everyone off, uh, then the video comes out, everyone sees it. Nobody really, it doesn't resonate with people until they see the video. That's how we are as a culture. We don't, until we see something, until we see the woman get punched in the face by her fiancé, it's just, we don't have to think about it. It's not a dirty thing to us until we actually see it. It's just a fact of life. We're a visual culture and we see the, the short clip, the short little video, and then everyone's outraged and the social justice warriors come out of the woodwork, people are picketing and then they're flying uh, you know, planes with messages above arenas that say Goodell must go well Goodell has, isn't going anywhere, he's just laying low for a little while while they do the bogus investigation, they cover up the fact that they all watched the video at the NFL headquarters, and then we all march on and everybody forgets about it and it's no big deal and it's business as usual and Roger Goodell makes his $44 million a year and the NFL goes on and makes their $5 billion because they're a charitable organization. They don't have to pay taxes on that. So everybody makes money. The owners get their pockets filled, and uh, we all go back on with our merry lives, and, and then we enjoy our game of football for another year. Roger Goodell, though, if he starts, well, he's laying low. He's doing. He's playing it right. He's a sleazy, scummy lawyer type. It's the only job he's ever had. He, was an, he interned with the NFL, and uh, they groomed him from the time he came out of college. You know, he's the son of a senator, so he's always had a, probably an inflated view of himself. And he's, you know, kind of a wannabe billionaire, but he makes $44 million a year to, uh, to be an asshole. So he's probably on his way to uh, becoming the next billionaire. He's not going anywhere. You can fuss and fight. Budweiser's not pulling their sponsorship. Gillette's not pulling their sponsorship. Papa John's is still going to sponsor. You know, they're not going anywhere, okay? The NFL is a cash cow. It's too big to fail. It's like, uh, you know, like a bank. The Fed's going to bail them out. NFL's not going anywhere. Roger Goodell, as long as he keeps making the owner's money, is not going anywhere. He's their puppet. He's the bad cop to the billionaire's good cop. And no matter how much we hate him, no matter how scummy he is, no matter how just... He evades questions and is above the law. Roger Goodell is not going anywhere. Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson. Uh, Ray Rice, double jeopardy. I, I don't know how you can give him a two game and then a full, uh, indefinite suspension like they did. I think that's bogus. I think he's got a good case next month to get back. But will anyone want Ray Rice? He's kind of washed up. He may never play again in his career well, he did it to himself. You you know, you punch your fiance, then I don't really have that much sympathy for you. But his career and his livelihood's ruined. His name is ruined. He doesn't have a chance to really rebuild it because he plays the one position in football where you flame out by the time you're 29 years old because you get too much tread on your tires. Adrian Peterson, on the other hand, is one of the best running backs of all time. Beat his kid a little bit with a, a switch. It's awful. you know. And once again, you see the picture of the kid's butt and he's got cuts and bruises, and, uh, you know, he was bleeding, and that just, pe- that throws people over the edge, and people demand that, he w- that he's that he gone. So, he'll probably not go back to Minnesota, he's burned his bridge there, he's been really dumb, he should have gone on 60 Minutes, cried, and said, I made a mistake, I I was, this is how I was treated as a child, and I should have known better, and I should be a better dad, but uh, he didn't do that, he's stubborn, He th- you know, he's dumb as well, uh, he's been coddled his whole life, so he thinks that everything, anything he does is correct. So he's been stubborn about that and because of that he's going to lose a year off his career. He'll come back next year probably with a different team, most likely uh well, maybe the Cowboys if they uh if they don't stick with uh, DeMarco Murray, He'll still get his career going just because he's a great player. If he was a scrub, he'd be gone forever. We never hear his name again. But uh, he's one of the best. So as long as the NFL is around, the people that have the talent, no matter how much uh, how much of a scumbag they are, they'll always get a chance to come back until their talent uh, does not match up with the trouble that they bring the league. And then in that case, the risk-reward means they're out the door. And that's just how the NFL operates. Whether it's the ownership, the commissioner, players, the coaches, as long as you're making the league money or your team money and uh, you're getting wins, that's all that really matters and that's uh, that's how the billionaire boys club works. So that's uh, that's it for this week's uh, episode, kind of a negative pessimistic view of the NFL. Um I think anyone that's watched the last month or two you have to walk away with it just not feeling really good about uh, the direction of the league and, and being a little pessimistic. Still the best sport, still the most exciting. I'm not stopping watching. I'm still playing fantasy football. I'm still glued to my set, watching uh, Red Zone Channel, watching Monday Night Football, watching Sunday Night Football. That'll never change, I don't think, anytime soon, um, unless the, the league really gets bad. And, you know, we'll still probably watch because it's, it's that uh, that ingrained in our culture. So that's it for this week. Uh, Check out the website, footballfridaytailgate.com, on Twitter at FFT Podcast or at Dan underscore Mullen, the text voicemail line 617-819-4FFT or you can always email us at dan at footballfridaytailgate.com. That's it for this week. Uh, Look forward to talking to you next week and until then, Vaya con Dios, amigos.